Hi, everyone, and welcome to the European Startup Show, where every week I talk to exciting startups in Europe to learn more about their challenges and strategies they use to scale their business. According to the Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations, roughly 1.3 billion tons of food, or one-third of everything that's produced, goes to waste. My guest today is Jamie Crummy, who's the co-founder of Too Good To Go, the world's largest marketplace for surplus food. The food app lets consumers buy unsold food from restaurants and retailers at a fraction of the cost so that it doesn't go to waste. Too Good To Go is now active in 15 countries and has over 29 million users who have rescued over 53 million meals collectively. Welcome, Jamie. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. I saw that your background is in law. So I thought maybe we could start off with you telling me a little bit about how you got into co-founding Too Good To Go. (laughs) Sure, it'd be my pleasure. When I was in law, it was very much from a you know, a humanitarian perspective. I worked in human rights law and refugee law, and my motivations was always social justice and doing something to have a, a positive social impact. So those same motivations completely transferred to the work that we're doing with Too Good To Go, which is all about reducing food waste to have a positive effect on the environment and on people as well. For myself, I've always been motivated by, by social justice, and by social impact. What, what has got you to be motivated about social justice and social impact? Is, did you grow up in a household where that was very prominent? Definitely, yeah. No, I've been very, very, very fortunate to have very inspiring parents. They've been crusaders in their own right and making inroads themselves in their, in their respective careers in, in academia and in, and in employment law and, and industrial relations and things like that. So they're activist background has definitely rubbed off on myself. From a young age, I'd be brought to picket lines and brought on marches and things like that. So it was a, yeah, definitely something that was part of my DNA and certainly part of the way I I was brought up as well. When I started this podcast, I I gave a statistic of 1.3 billion tons of food wastage. Educate me on how big of a problem food wastage is. I'm not sure I understand it completely. Sure. No, it, it, it would be my pleasure. If there's one thing that we can do on this podcast, and some of the listeners to learn a little bit more about the impact and the, the issues of food waste. And this can hopefully try and change people's way of life, either as individuals or, or as leaders within their own field and businesses. But as you rightly point out, one over 1.3 billion tons of food is thrown away each year globally. And what that means is a third of all food produced ends up being wasted. And I always tend to break this down into three areas of sort of profound impact. This unnecessary wastage and this wastage at this scale is having financial implications. It's having uh, social implications and environmental ones too. So to take these each in turn, food waste is costing the global economy over $1.2 trillion each year. Now, that's a hell of a lot of money, right? Now, to put that into perspective, that is the equivalent of the world's 15th largest global economy, Mexico. So we're spending more on throwing food away than the entire GDP of Mexico. And something there just doesn't add up. 
And then when we sort of look into the social implications of, of food waste as well, there's over 870 million people who go to bed hungry each year, yet there's more than enough food being produced to feed everyone. So, you know, in that instance, I really like to point out that food waste is the real in, injustice here. Yep. But moving on into sort of the environmental side, we're all aware that we're in a climate emergency now. It really is horrifying to see the, the effects of climate change literally before our eyes. Food waste accounts for between 8 to 10% of all greenhouse gas emissions. Now, what that means is that if food waste was a country, it would be the third largest greenhouse gas emitter after the US and China. Wow. It's the equivalent of taking one in four cars off the road, and it's actually creating more than six times the amount of greenhouse gas emissions than the entire aviation industry. So when we're putting it into that sort of context, we realize how important it is to take a stance on food waste, because it really is so integral from an environmental perspective as well. I always like to refer to a, a report that was published earlier this year. It's called the Drawdown Report. Now, what this is, it's from an organization and it's, it's often termed as the most comprehensive uh, piece of research of its kind. And it's really diving in to solutions to reverse the effects of climate change. And fighting food waste is listed as the number one most impactful, most immediate action that we as individuals can take to reverse the effects of climate change. Where is the food wastage? Where in the supply chain is most of this food wastage happening? And do you have any understanding of why this is happening? Sure. And that's a, that's a really good question. So I guess I'll start off by just explaining the difference between food waste and, and, and food loss. And when we're often talking about food loss, we're talking about food wastage at the, at, at the farm gate, essentially. So much further down the supply chain. And food waste is often you know, avoidable. It's wastage, which is happening with us consumers and further up, up, up the supply chain. But for the purpose of this, we'll just term it all as, as food waste. But food waste is a very different picture depending on where you are in the world. So in the richer countries, the more developed nations, food waste is actually the reverse of what it is in developing nations. So when we're talking about uh, food waste in developing nations, it's, it's very much happening at, at the bottom of the supply chain. There's a lack of infrastructure, things like refrigerization or distribution, which means that food spoils and it can't be harvested or distributed properly. Whereas there's little food wastage from the end consumer say so food waste within the homes. The reverse happens in developed nations. So we have, particularly in Europe, a very developed and sophisticated logistic networks and, and supply chains, which mean that the level of wastage through what's happening in the developing world isn't the case here. We're able to refrigerate food, we can harvest food at a large rate, etc., etc. Where that food waste tends to occur is further up the supply chain. So we're looking in areas like hospitality, retail, but much more so as us as consumers. So in Europe, you know, 50% of the food that is wasted post-farm gate is happening in our homes. And 
to go back to your earlier question, why is this happening? If we look at why it's happening in the developing world, well, we know there's a lack of infrastructure. And why is it happening here in, in the, the developed world, in, in places like Europe? It's very much down to our relationship with food. Mm. We're not valuing food as much as we used to. If you look at Europe as a post-war generation, we were having to ration. There was food scarcity. So there was a very minimal wastage because we understood and appreciated that food yep. was intrinsic to our survival, but it also was this social glue that brought us all together. With globalization and things like that, the accessibility and the availability of food to many people has increased. And so our value and appreciation of it has diminished, which means if we see something which is past its best before date, we often don't really know what a best before date means. And that results in us throwing that food away because we've lost that connection. We've lost that true value of what mm. food really is. And this is such an important problem that we need to tackle. Could you talk about what businesses do to try to be more sustainable? They don't have to become a Salesforce or a Spotify or a Google mm -hmm. to say, now we can do good and we can do philanthropy. You should be able to do things, even when you're a startup, to be more of a sustainable company. And I think that's a, that's a brilliant question. And it's one which stems on this understanding of the word sustainability. And what, what does it mean to different people? Now, to some, sustainability is a buzzword which is you know, just used for eco-warriors or zero-waste folk or whatever it is. Understand what sustainability means. We're not just talking about it through the lens of environmentalism, but rather we're talking about being a sustainable and self-sustaining business. So actually, sustainability in itself, in its truest form, isn't just about doing what's right for the planet. It's also what's doing what's right and healthy for your own business. And what we've seen through developing Too Good To Go and, and, and going from strength to strength is that sustainability makes business sense. It makes commercial sense. Can you be specific on the impact that they could have on the bottom line by being more sustainable? You can look at it from a very sort of top line perspective and look at how any business could be more sustainable in their energy consumption. That there is a very like easy and simple quick fix for most businesses to approach, which is just actually changing the way in which you're, you're consuming en en energy. Walking around London last, last night, you see this amount of empty businesses, yet they still have their lights on. Being a more sustainable business is changing your light bulbs to energy efficient ones is a first stop to improving your energy efficiency. And if we dive into something like food waste, those businesses which are food businesses or, or interact with food, what I always like to highlight is you know, there are very few industries out there which throw away their core product on a day-to-day -day basis at such mass scale, yet we're seeing that happening just as a customary norm throughout, throughout the food sector. So just by actually evaluating and assessing the way in which uh, you as a food business are throwing your food away, well, of course, that, that will increase your bottom line you know, tenfold even, because yep. you're throwing away your core product. So it's, it's costing you 
to throw this food away. It's costing you to bring that food in. So keeping with the theme of business, I know that Too Good To Go is a B Corp. Mm -hmm. Could you take a few minutes to explain to the audience what a B Corp means and who can get a B Corp status and what's the value of doing a B Corp? Sure. So the, the B Corp itself is, you know, a fantastic community to be a part of. And what B Corps are, in essence, they're a new kind of businesses that balances purpose and profit. So what we are is we receive our cert certification and we receive the cert certification because, you know, we're doing something which is beneficial to the environment. It's beneficial to the climate to our community, to our customers, but also to our workers as well. It's a great community to be a part of because we're essentially disruptors. We're changing the status quo of how you know, often people perceive big business or, or small business to be traditionally done. So let me switch from the business aspect to the consumer aspect. Now you have 29 million app installed across 15 different countries. That's yes. phenomenal. We'll talk about scale aspect of it, but maybe you could point out based on the data that you have, how do consumers differ from one part of the world to the other? Do you look at that data and maybe you can share some interesting insights from that? Okay, that's quite interesting. So those food trends typically reflect the availability of the, the food which is on the platform itself. But what I think is, is more interesting, actually, rather than those consumer trends, which are, are often reflected on the supply which is available, is actually looking at the, the makeup of businesses which differ from market to market. If we take the UK as an example, we tend not to have a history of a, a thriving independent food scene, but rather there's a, a huge amount of chains or what we term key accounts. So those could be the likes of your Nando's or Starbucks or whatever it may be. And, you know, that is something which is very cultural to the UK. There's this, this sense of trust that people can trust that if they have a meal from your high street restaurant chains in places in Cornwall and you venture all the way up to the northeast, you know, you've got those home comforts and that familiarity, that trust that food is going to be the same. If we contrast that with you know, other markets in which we operate in, such as Italy, a, a, a really thriving market for ourselves, where we've got an amazingly active user base, you see that that makeup of businesses is quite different. So the Italian food scene, I think we all love Italian food. Yeah. I mean, who isn't? It's fantastic. But there's a thriving independent scene. So it becomes a very hyper-local and community-based food scene. So we see these interesting cultural differences. Similarly, when you look in areas like France, there's amazing old um, town planning laws, which means that um, uh, each new city dwelling, by law, had to have their own boulangerie, which is in stark contrast to places like the UK. So it's very interesting when you start looking at the, the makeup of businesses themselves across places like Europe, and then moving into the US as well. Yeah, fascinating. So you said Italy was one of your most engaged markets. What other markets are really active? All of our markets are, are incredibly engaged. And one of the things that we can pride ourselves on is that over 86% of the food 
and listed on Too Good To Go gets rescued. So that there in itself means we have a very engaged businesses, but we also have a, a super engaged user basage from our consumers as well. But in terms of our most thriving markets, I'd, I'd always point towards France. And so France itself is our largest market on the Too Good To Go platform. Why is that? I think we've got an amazing team in France. So there's fantastic uh, people there driving the business. One of our founders, uh, she's from France, you know, has always been sort of a cultural second home to, to Too Good To Go. But again, there's different things as well, which, which come into play. Mm-hmm. In France, they've been very pioneering in terms of the legislation around food waste. So in 2015, they brought in uh, you know, very disruptive legislation, which meant that retailers over a certain size could not throw food away. They had to legally redistribute food rather than throwing it away. Just this here was you know, globally trending, trending news. But what it does in itself is it, it changes a mindset. You know, so mm. business owners are actually actively seeking food waste solutions. And so it just allows the dots to connect faster. So it's not because of this legislation that we've been able to grow, but rather it's created a climate in which, or an, 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 an environment where people are more open to addressing food waste. That compounded with the fact that the French love food. I mean, it's the home of fine dining. So that value and appreciation of food that I spoke about earlier, we can see that that connection with food much more visibly in, in, in France than in other parts of the world. Of course, France and food makes sense. <laughs> I actually downloaded the app and I got a magic bag from one of the bakeries. So I have two questions based on my personal experience. Mm-hmm. One is why this idea of a magic bag? Someone's living by themselves. Is the food sometimes going to be too much? And are they going to end up wasting it? Why can't it be something where they can pick and choose a little bit more granularly rather than getting a bag of it? Is that something that you considered? Why, why not? And then the second is, is there been any, have you tried to partner with like Uber or these logistic type of services so that they can actually maybe do some, do good part of their business to, to help transport these food waste so then more people would have access to it? I guess what I probably should do, and I should have done earlier, is just outline how Too Good To Go operates and how it is we work and what this concept of a magic bag actually is. <laughs> so we operate in over 15 countries. We've got 29-odd million um, users. We've got over 60,000 different food businesses that work with us, and we've rescued over 53 million meals from going to waste. And simply what happens is a user will download the Too Good To Go app. They'll see a list of participating food businesses and they'll collect what we refer to as a magic bag, which is a food which would otherwise go to waste. And they'll rescue that from the food business during an allotted collection window. And these businesses, they range from your local cafe or bakery, as you may have experienced, through to sort of restaurant chains or coffee chains to supermarkets and other retailers, contract caterers, hotels, and then even food producers. And in some instances, we've worked with farmers as well, which is, uh, which is really exciting. So we like to you know, term this, this model as a win-win. It's a win for businesses as they're able to recover sunk costs from food that would otherwise go to waste. 
Uh, they're able to attract new customers who may not have heard of them before, and that ability and capacity to you know, upsell other items at the point of collection. And it's a win for consumers. You know, consumers get to discover new brands and uh, discover new flavors and collect food and enjoy food that doesn't cost the earth. So to then answer that question about what a magic bag is and why we use this, you know, if we knew what food was going to be thrown away, then we probably wouldn't have produced it in the first place. Hmm. So there's this theme of unpredictability around what food is going to be left over. So in that sense, it's catering to that fact of it, that we don't know exactly what food is going to be left over. And at the same time, we also know a lot of the challenges that food businesses face. They're often stretched for time. And because of that, it's hard to integrate lots of operational changes or processes. And there's tight budgets. You know, it's a very costly business. Mm. So what we've created is a business model and a concept with this magic bag, which allows businesses to add this in to their processes with very little operational impact. The fact that it is, it's just whatever's left over and it goes into making up a magic bag means that they can save staff time, but also that they don't need to manage expectations. It's just literally whatever food has been left over. And from a consumer perspective, and this is something that we find, you know, that's quite fun. It's quite engaging. You know, a big theme about what we're trying to do is talk about food waste through the lens of climate change and environmentalism. And far too often, we speak about climate change from the, the doom and gloom, the mm. negative things and the scary things about, about climate change. But if we really want to, to change things, if we really want to disrupt and improve our environment and our society, you know, we've got to make it engaging. We've got to make it fun. We've got to make it simple. So this is what you know, part of this magic bag is about, going to a French patisserie and you know, collecting an entire cake or opening up a, a bag of delicious treats from your local bakery and not knowing what, what, what it's going to be. So it's making it fun and it's making it engaging. I like it. I like it a lot. You touched upon the scale element of, of how many countries you are, how many meals mm -hmm. you've saved. I know that as an organization, you've gone from nine people to over 700 in five years. That's a massive scale and growth. Did you deliberately scale so fast to so many different countries or did it happen organically? And number two, what were the biggest challenges in scaling like this? Sure. So I guess, you know, taking that, that first question, which is all around, was it intentional to scale at this rate and at this speed or did it happen organically? I guess to understand where we are now is about the level of ambition that we had back in 2015. What we always wanted to be was this global solution for fighting food waste. Um, and we always had this ambition to become rescuing a bag and to grab a tuga to go to basically be its own verb. And with that, you know, we always had this ambition to be global because the issue of food waste itself you know, isn't insular to, to one country or one market. The fact is, you know, a third of all food produced ends up being wasted. And this is happening in Europe. It's happening in the States. It's happening across Asia, in Africa, every continent around the world. So with that, we needed to create a solution that had scalability and had the functionality to be able to be implemented wherever across the globe. 
At the same time, myself and my co-founders, we all have an international background. So myself, I'm Irish, but other co-founders, English, another one's French, um, another one's Norwegian, and the rest are all Danish. So it sounds like some sort of dodgy joke when a, a group of people walk into a bar. But with that, when we launched Too Good To Go, we started in Denmark first, and then we we ended up operating in, and or the app was being downloaded in Norway, so we started an operation in Norway, and then we brought it back to France and the UK as well. So at the start, there were nine of us, and we were already operating across several different markets. So from day dot, we'd actually been an international startup or an international uh, social enterprise and social impact company. But that said, that ambition and that organicness of sort of being an international startup from day dot fueled our ambition, and it demonstrated that actually this is a concept that isn't that can thrive in one market, but rather from from the beginning it could thrive in several. Mm. So it showed uh, that proof of concept from the very early days, where it was an incredibly lean and agile operation, that it had the bones and it had the the DNA to operate at scale. So, what were some of the biggest challenges that you faced in this scaling? It was collaboration, I think. When you are operating all across different markets, when a team is relatively light on the ground, you know there is, and this is this is no fault of anyone, but the default can often be to try and look after oneself, and so you end up operating essentially in silos, and that there is a risk that happens if you try and stretch yourself too thin or you try and scale up too quickly. So it was all about ensuring that we had a culture of collaboration and a culture of sharing. So if somebody had had a challenge in one area or in one area of the business speaking with retailers, you know, we could share that learning and make sure that it didn't happen in another market. But similarly, pull all of these learnings together so that when we launch new markets, we're always, always developing and always improving so that things can, can become more streamlined, et cetera, et cetera. So that, I think, is the, is the biggest challenge. And one thing that we made sure that as we've grown on this crazy adventure from you know, nine of us to over 700, was to ensure that we had a, a culture which embedded teamwork, embedded collaboration, and things like this. And how do you ensure that? What are some of the steps other entrepreneurs can take to get this culture of collaboration embedded into the organization? I feel fundamentally that this comes down to just very good communication channels. So open communication and often at times over communicating just to make sure that everyone is singing off the same hymn hymn sheet and that you're all um, pushing in the same direction rather than, than pulling and pushing. What about hiring? Was that ever a challenge while you were scaling so rapidly? And are there any insights or advice in terms of how to do hiring when you're scaling so fast and how to onboard people, make sure they understand the culture? That is a really good question. So in terms of the things that we looked at when when hiring, is obviously the usual sort of competencies and things like that. But it's having like our DNA. And each organization will have their own DNA and their own culture. But we wanted people to have that passion, you know, to really be here to fight food waste. And that level of passion and knowledge around food waste may change from person to person, 
But when they come into this environment and this culture, they start learning more about fighting food waste and become the, these food waste warriors themselves. And we've been able to build like a phenomenal team where you know you, we communicate all through Slack globally. And it's fantastic just to see the passion, the enthusiasm, and the ambition that thrives through everyone on a daily basis. Because I think it is a complete unique environment to be able to wake up every single morning and know you're working in an organization which is genuinely doing something positive for the planet on a day-to-day basis. It must be easier to recruit because of that mission, right? (laughs) Aspect to it. When I think about scale, there's obviously a downside to it when the business has a dip. The pandemic has closed down a lot of businesses that probably were on your app. Mm-hmm. Hence, there, were, there are fewer transactions that are now going through your app. So my question is, how did you address the impact of the pandemic, given the scale in which you operate? Sure. And that's, again, like a really good question. I think when we look back into March through April and May, we, like many businesses, had, had the same sort of reaction. You know, it was a very ambiguous. It, it was new. We didn't know what was going to happen. You're right to point out many food businesses closed down. But at the same time, there were other businesses, you know, which were still open. When the pandemic happened and lockdowns came into place across Europe and across the world, you know, food waste didn't stop. It just shifted. So it either went further down the supply chain. So what it meant was for us just to get more creative and to actually challenge ourselves to adapt our model to ensure that we could rescue all of this food so it didn't go to waste. And this is how we've started working more and more with food producers and connecting food producers with our consumers to rescue and enjoy that food. Similarly, there are certain sectors of the food business which are slightly more resilient so mm. if you're looking at a retail sector for example you know they've had their issues you know we had empty shelves and things like that back in march and in parts of april but as the as supply chains have become more robust certain certain parts of the food industry have become more resilient and with that itself we've been able to shift our focus to ensure that these businesses which are still producing food, still serving food, they're still creating food waste. So we just need to make ourselves readily available to them. And that is where the platform has really come into its own to ensure that people can collect food in a safe way, but also ensure that no food is going to waste. But you didn't have to scale down in any way. No, and and this is what sort of where I was going when the lockdown first happened. As I say, like many other businesses, there was this this sense of ambiguity and unknown. But what we've seen since is actually we've been hitting records um, in the latter part of this year. So we've actually had many markets which have had record months in terms of the, the amount of meals they've rescued from going to waste, records in terms of the amount of businesses which we've now partnered with as people are seeking for solutions as they realize the importance of reducing food waste. So you know, I can see that. It's, of course, been a hugely challenging time for everyone involved. And this, the sad reality is we have lost a lot of our partners. Many of them have been forced to close down 
because yeah. of the economic uncertainty. But at the same time, because of the pandemic, I genuinely feel there is this greater connection with food that we have been missing. And this appreciation of food is coming through more now, more so than ever. People are seeking for more solutions and people are trying to reduce food waste in other walks of their lives. Well, that's good news for sure. I want to talk a little bit about funding. Mm -hmm. How big is the food waste market in Europe and what's the VC landscape in this space? So if we're looking at food waste itself, I mentioned earlier that food waste is costing the global economy over over $1.2 trillion each year. In Europe alone, it's over $140 billion. So if we're looking at like that, the size of the opportunity for businesses to either recover costs or, or the opposite to that is actually is huge fold. So there's a huge landscape and, and market for levels of in innovation to address mm -hmm. this problem across different parts of the supply chain, whether it's platforms like Too Good To Go, which are connecting consumers with businesses to surplus food, or we're seeing an array of other sorts of technologies which are developing to, to address the huge environmental and social issue of food waste. So there's artificial intelligence in the form of smart bins. We're having beers which are being brewed from surplus bread. There's all sorts of condiments and table sauces and hummuses and things like that, which are all being made from surplus produce and being upcycled into a, another sort of product. And how is your compared to other geos when it comes to innovation and investment in food waste companies? Who's leading the innovation wave and, and investment wave for food waste? So if we're specifically speaking about food waste, we have to look at in Europe as the beacon of food waste innovation. And here ourselves in Too Good To Go, we are the largest marketplace for surplus food with over 29 million users. Similarly, there are other organizations within Europe as well who have done phenomenally well in creating businesses and organizations around food waste which have received international scalability as well. So, yeah, Europe is definitely the, the hotbed of food waste innovation for sure. Can you talk a little bit about where you are in your journey in terms of funding and what your ambitions are? We've always been incredibly ambitious about our growth. And what we want to do is to be a global solution for food waste. It means operating essentially anywhere and everywhere. We want to be the synonymous organization when it comes to fighting food waste. At the moment, we're operating in, in 15 markets globally, and we will be looking to expand upon that, if not in the immediate future, in the soon-to-be future. So we're, we're in the fortunate position where we have a very healthy cash flow, and we've attracted some sort of amazing and investors throughout our journey over the past five years. So traditionally, that has been very much angel investor-led, and that, that you know, has allowed us to attract people who share the same mission as ourselves and have really allowed us to invest in the growth of an organization that has fighting food waste at its core. I think we're at the end of our podcast. 
So I want to ask this rapid fire round and really all I'm requiring quick, a few word answers for these. Okay. So your favorite book that made an impact on you? My favorite book that had an impact on me is a book by Robert Trussell. It's called The Ragged Trousered Philanthropist. And that there is a book that taught me a lot about the importance of equality and fairness. And that really has sort of shaped my principles moving forward. Lovely. What about your favorite European city to live in? I haven't lived in many European cities. I definitely traveled to a lot. My one regret, I guess, is I've never become fluent in Spanish because it's prevented me from living in Spain. So I would, you know, if I could, the one European city I would love to live in would be to learn Catalan, be fluent in Spanish and live in Barcelona. Your hobby outside of work? Yeah, I'm a huge rugby fan, a huge football fan, and play sport as often as, as possible, really. Your favorite quote, any quote that you would give? My favorite quote, I guess, would have to be an Oscar Wilde quote. It would be, shoot for the moon, even if you miss, you land among the stars. I like that quote. Lovely. Well, on that note, thank you so much, Jamie, for being a guest on my show. I, I love what you're doing. I'm going to continue using Too Good To Go. I hope a lot of listeners that are listening to this podcast today download your app and do good. So thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you very much. Brilliant, brilliant to be here.